good to have Brother Joe Arthur with us. And uh, I remember, I think the first time I'd ever heard him preach was down at Back to Bethel, probably 123 years ago. I do too. And uh, I went down there, I think Brother Blaylock and I went down there. I said, who is that guy? He said, Joe Arthur, you never heard of him? I said, nope. I said, but I like him. And, uh, and so we've heard him many times over the years, and he's always been a blessing. And uh, appreciate him. Appreciate him coming being with us and uh, looking forward to hearing the message and uh, look forward to preaching. I like singing. I love preaching. Amen. And singing's good. Preaching's better. Amen. That's what you need. Yes, sir. That's a Tennessee color right there, brother. I don't know if that'll work or not. I need some Georgia Bulldog going on up in here. Amen. Well, we won, bless God. But anyway, good to see you tonight. Daniel chapter number three in your Bible. I appreciate your pastor uh, allowing me to use this Pentecostal microphone. Uh, anybody ever heard of Benny Hinn? Well, I'm Joe Rooster, and I'm glad to be with you tonight. And, but March the 21st of last year, I sat in a doctor's office at the Northside Hospital there in Atlanta, and uh, every dream I had came crashing down. I knew I was having some very severe vocal issues, and so the doctor said, we got to see what's going on. And so he ran a light in here, and first of all, he went that way and didn't discover anything. You'll get that in a minute. And then he looked inside of my voice box, my larynx, and said, Man, you have, uh, listen to this now, polyps on your vocal cords. I said, That's ruptured blood vessels. He said, That's exactly right. And I said, How in the world does a Baptist preacher get ruptured blood vessels on their vocal cords? If you ever heard me preach back then, you know how I got them. And uh, then he said, listen, man, we need to surgically remove them. And, uh, boy, that scared me to death, surgery with a knife. You said that's minor. There's no such thing as minor surgery except those that are not having surgery. You come after me with a knife and a mask on, I'm going to fight you. And uh, then he said, we'll check you for cancer. Boy, that just tore my world apart. And then he said something else that was very disturbing. He said, clear your schedule. Uh, no preaching, singing, talking for at least 10 weeks. You stay at home for 10 weeks. And Miss Arthur and I have been married for 38 years. We have never been together 10 straight weeks. That's how you stay married a long time. Don't go home. You can't fight if you ain't there. Can I get a witness? In fact, speaking of me and Mrs. Arthur, Brother Clyde here, me and Julie went on our first date, Clyde Acres Church in Lexington, North Carolina. We stopped in Winston and ate at the Piccadilly, I mean uh, the K&W, and uh, we got one plate and shared it. Took two straws. Woo! <laughs> out of the same drink. I did that on purpose. Her daddy wouldn't let me kiss her, so I thought I'd drink after her. Say amen right there. And I called Julie a while ago, and I said, I'm talking to Brother Clyde. She said, tell him I'll never go on another date to his church again. It cost me my life. But 
But to make a long story short, the, the polyps came off easy. There was no cancer. And we were back preaching again for 10 minutes, <laughs> Sunday morning only for 10 minutes within about four weeks. Our church loved that. They loved that 10 minutes. They're hoping I'll go back to the hospital. I don't want to do that anymore. And so we're working our way back. And so my voice therapist told me, she said, there are four things camp meeting preachers do that ruin their voices. She said, number one, the tie mic. She said, that's too far from your mouth. Don't use that thing. Listen to this one. Hall's cough drops. They have menthol in them. It eats the lining of your throat. She said, don't do those. And she's number three. She said, breathe. She said, you can't make preachers or preach 30 minutes and breathe one time. Breathe. And then I love this one, get rid of the stress that's in your life. Now, I'm going to tell you what I can do tonight. I can use, it to, I, I can use a handheld. I've kicked them halls, and I've learned to breathe, but I don't know how to get rid of that stress in my life. Julie's mother did go back home. That did help some, but uh, it's just great to be here tonight. I love you, Pastor. I appreciate him. Beautiful facility here, soul-winning church, and good music, good fellowship, and good to see some of my old friends tonight, and it's good to see some of our young friends here tonight. So any of you young girls thinks this boy's hot, come up after church. I'm his agent. I'll hook you up with a date. He's rich. He's famous. We'll get him saved later. Say amen right there. But there are people in this room I've been knowing for over 40 years. And Brother Billy Kelly used to say, we've been friends down here, and praise God, we'll be friends up there. Daniel chapter number 3, I'll read a couple of verses in a moment, talking about an offering. That's what Billy Kelly used to say at the camp meeting. He'll say, we're going to try to receive an offering. Bless God, if we don't get enough, we're going to take it. I remember when I was a little boy, my daddy took me to hear Mays Jackson in a big tent meeting. There's probably 2,000 people there. And they used those Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets to take up the offering. And Brother Mays said, praise God, children, I want that offering finger licking good. Of course, Billy Kelly said he was so poor growing up, if they did go to the Kentucky Fried Chicken, they had to lick somebody else's fingers. Amen. <laughs> but the Lord is good. Turn to somebody beside of you and say, hey, you look better with your mask on. Praise God. You love the Lord tonight? Aren't you glad God's people can be happy? Daniel chapter number 3 in your Bible tonight. And we'll begin reading in verse number 26. Daniel chapter 3, verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. Verse 27, And the princes and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, number one, upon whose body the fire had no power. Boy, don't you love that. Number two, 
nor was an hair of their head singed. Even a bald-headed man appreciates that. Number three, neither were their coats changed. And number four is our text tonight. Nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. Not only were their bodies not hurt, not only were their clothes not changed, not only were their hair not singed, they didn't even smell like they had been in this fire. Verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God. Don't you love it tonight when the heathen have to give God the glory? But blessed be the God tonight of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who hath sent his angels and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. And I'm interested tonight in that little phrase in the last part of verse 27 where it said on the other side of that fire, they didn't even smell like they had been through the fire. And the Lord be on our helper. I want to preach to you tonight from my heart. And I'm not your pastor. He is your pastor. But I have a pastor's heart. And I'm going to preach to you just like I would the people that I pastor. And I want to try to help you tonight with this and preach on this subject how to go through the fire and not smell like smoke. How to go through the fire and not smell like smoke. I don't know about you tonight, but in our text, this is one of the great miracles of the Bible. I'm amazed that you can throw somebody into the fire and it be so hot that it consumes the men that threw them in but it did not consume you. I'm amazed tonight that you can go through a fire and your clothes survive. I'm really thankful tonight that you can go through the fire and not lose anymore. But to me, the greatest miracle of this text is that they went through this fire and they didn't even smell like the smoke. Now, I'm telling you, outside of God, that's a total impossibility. I, I love Mexican food. I love Chinese food. You can look at me and tell I love food, food, food. I know thin is in, but fat's where it's at. And a lot of skinny people are hateful because they're hungry and they need something to eat. But I love to go get those Mexican, I love to go get those chicken fajitas. Anybody like them chicken fajitas? Some, they're cooking when they come to you. I mean, it's on fire. Them peppers and them onions and all that stuff is a steaming. And brother, they set that on your plate. You may not have ordered chicken fajitas. You may not even eat chicken fajitas. But when you leave there, you don't smell like a taco. You smell like a chicken fajita. In fact, you can eat chicken fajitas at 1 o'clock on Sunday and come back on Sunday night and you still smell like chicken fajitas. It's hard to get, it's almost, in fact, without God, it is impossible to get that close to a fire and not smell like smoke. Someone asked me, well, I grew up in the country in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, east of here about two and a half hours. 
And somebody said, when did the trash man come by? I was the trash man. We lived so far out in the country, we didn't have no garbage pickup. We had a, a barrel called a burn barrel. Anybody ever had one of them? And you take the trash out, fill up that barrel, fill up that barrel, and when that barrel couldn't hold no more, man, you'd get that charcoal lighter. Man, I love that. And put that match in there. Here goes that fire. How many's ever had the burn barrel? I mean, you burned. They call it burning trash. Yankees don't know nothing about that. They call it incinerating trash. But anybody ever burned any trash? I remember coming in one night, Mama had supper cooked. Boy, that was them old-fashioned days when women really cooked. That didn't go over. I'll move on to another point. But I came in that night. I came in that particular night. Mama had that supper cooked. And she took one whiff of me and said, Hey, no, you go back there and get that smoke off of you. You get that smell off of you. And then you can come back in the house and eat supper with the family. I'm emphasizing the fact tonight that without God it is impossible. It is a miracle that you can go through a fire and not smell like the smoke. With that in mind tonight, let me give you something. You can tell when most people have had a tragedy, a storm, a setback, a disturbance, a conflict, a disappointment, a heartbreak in their life because they came through it, but they smell like it. You can smell the bitterness. You can smell the anger. You can smell the resentment. You can smell the revenge that is upon them. And they reveal that by the way that they talk. They reveal that by the way they treat others. They reveal that by the way they have responded to the trial that is in their life. And I'll remind you tonight, it is impossible to live the Christian life and not go through some fires. In fact, the sovereign God of heaven has designed fires not to bring the worst out in us, not to destroy our faith or our lives, but to bring the best out in us. For the fire was designed to consume our pride, to consume our wrath, to consume our anger, and to consume our bitterness. I can't help it if I go through the fire. Going through the fire is not my choice to make. I cannot choose my fire. I cannot choose going through the fire or not going through the fire. The only power of choice that I have is to go through that fire, endure that fire, Worship God before the fire, worship God during the fire, and worship God on the other side of the fire and not smell like bitterness and anger and revenge and resentment. So many people tonight have gone through the fire and it was devastating. 
It consumed their love. It consumed their compassion. It consumed their attitude. It left them angry, full of wrath and revenge and bitterness. Will you listen to Brother Joe tonight by the help of the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you something. Anger and wrath and bitterness and revenge stinks to the high heaven. It not only stinks from the nostrils of a holy, merciful, gracious, forgiving, loving God, but it stinks in the nostrils of others. You say, Brother Joe, I just don't believe you can go through the fire and not smell like the smoke. Well, have you ever heard of my friend in the Bible? And I love this guy. We have something in common. His name is Joseph. And my name is Joseph. But that's about all we've got in common. But oh, Brother Joseph, what a man. What a life he lived. What a legacy that he left. And you look in the dictionary of the encyclopedia and pick out the storms and the troubles and the trials and the test of life. And this would be the epitaph on Joseph. Been there, done that, not got the T-shirt, got the scar. I used to say that. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. No, no, no. Been there, done that, got the scar. Why think of about any kind of emotional, domestic trial that a man can go through, Joseph has been there. Why Joseph got forsaken by his family. I don't know about you tonight, but it hurts when anybody does you in, but when you can folks do you in, that's a little sharper sword. I mean, when people you don't like do you wrong, it ain't no big deal. But when there's people you love that puts a knife in you, that hurts. And Joseph was forsaken by his family. His brothers threw him in a pit and forsook him. His brothers lied to their father about the existence of Joseph. His brothers were so desperately that they sold him into human slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Joseph goes down to the land of Egypt and he has sold a Potiphar. And Potter's wife lies on him and frames Joseph, falsely accuses Joseph. And he wouldn't have been in that position if his brethren hadn't have sold him in the slavery. Joseph winds up being in prison for something that he didn't do. And Joseph even meets who he thinks is a friend in the prison, but yet he forgets him when he has an opportunity to tell Pharaoh about him. Joseph would not be the illustration of a success magazine. For the world says to be successful, you step on step one and you climb to step two and you climb to step three and if you keep on climbing the steps, surely sooner or later you will arrive at success. But I'll remind you something, Joseph didn't start on step one and go to step 10. He started at step 10 and fell down to step one. And finally in the providence of God, the king has a dream. And he's looking for somebody to interpret that dream. And that old boy said, wait a minute, there's an old boy in prison by the name of Joseph. He walks with God. He'll tell us what to do. And Joseph walks up out of that prison straight to that palace and interprets that dream. 
And before you know it, he's fulfilled what Simon Peter said. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due season. And all of a sudden, Joseph is no longer in the pit. Joseph is no longer at Potiphar's. Joseph is no longer in the prison. Joseph is in the palace. But he's more than in the palace. He's on the throne in the palace. He's not only in the palace, on the throne in the palace. He's a man in the palace. In fact, God used him to save much people alive. Then one day in came his brethren. Oh, they didn't know him, but he knew them. You say, why do you think he knew them? Because the devil's going to make sure you don't forget them who do you in. They may not remember you. They may not remember that sneaking, conniving move they put on you, but you will remember them. The devil will have their faces floating in your Cheerios when you eat breakfast every morning. He'll make sure you dream about them two or three times a month. He'll make sure that their face, their presence, and even their breath stays in your face. And they didn't know him, but he knew them. And in the process of time, he revealed himself to those boys. Lord, this is another subject in itself, but wouldn't you love to have been there that night when that man on the throne looked across that throne and said, I am Joseph. Son, it reminds me of the day when our heavenly Joseph will lean over the balconies of heaven and say, I am the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked at those boys and says, I am Joseph. And brother, when they heard those words, I am Joseph, sweat rolled down their brow. Their knees got to knocking together. Some, they got a case of being scared. And they looked up and said, oh my, Joseph, are you going to kill us? Are you going to treat us like we did you? And Joseph looked at them. He's been through the fire but he doesn't smell like smoke. He looks at them and says, kill you. No, he made this statement. Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Let me tell you, in Georgia and North Carolina, what Joseph just said. He said, boys, I'm not going to play God in my life. I'm not going to play God in your life. God is God by himself. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need my aid. Am I in the place of God? No. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to cherish you. I'm going to be good to you. And then he cleared him off a piece of ground and said, let me testify what you meant for evil. God meant for good because he came through that fire and he didn't smell like smoke. Joseph don't smell like revenge. He don't smell like anger. He don't smell like bitterness. He doesn't smell like revenge. He smells like love. You say, well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, you're not going to be responsible for what they did to you. 
but you're going to be responsible for what you do to them. I told somebody today coming up here, the older I get, the smarter my daddy gets. I don't know near what I thought I did when I was 14. I earned my first Ph.D. when I was 14. And I thought I knew, I thought I knew it all. Brother McDaniel, I'd go to my dad and I'd say, Dad, if them people were saved, they wouldn't do that. He'd say, who said they were saved? I said, Dad, if they love God, they wouldn't do that. Daddy'd say, who said they love God? Daddy, if their heart was right with God, they wouldn't have done that. And Daddy would say, who said their heart was right with God? I said, they did. He said, people's lied before. Then he'd say to me, are you saved? Yes, sir. Hey, are you right with God? Yes, sir. Is your heart where it ought to be? Yes, sir. He said, okay. He said, you are saved. You are right with God. You want the blessing of God on your life. Then you act right. Then you talk right. Then you respond right. Son, you're not going to stand before the Lord answering for their words and their action and their hurt. You'll stand before God for your action and your words and what you do. I want to tell you something tonight. All of us have been abused and lied upon and heard and let down. But on the other side, let's not smell like bitterness and anger and revenge. Let's don't smell like that smoke. You say, well, Brother Joe, that's Old Testament. I'm into this New Testament Christianity. Well, hallelujah, hang on. Are you ready? Here is a New Testament illustration. And the greatest illustration in the New Testament you'll find on any subject is the tester of the testament. And his name's Jesus. You say, whatever happened to him? Well, despised and rejected of men. Came to his own, and his own received him not. Sold into the hand of the enemy for 30 pieces of silver falsely accused, misrepresented, spit on him, scourged him, pulled his hair out. On top of that, beat his back and then nailed him to a tree. Put that cross on his back and beat him through the narrow streets of Jerusalem. Led him up to the top of Gordon's Calvary and drove nails in his hands and nails in his feet and hung him naked for the whole world to see between heaven and the earth. And he suffered like no man had ever suffered. And you better believe it, boys. I was the reason. I was the reason. Hallelujah. I'm the reason he went to the cross, and I'm glad he died for me. Let me run one rabbit. If you've sneaked in here tonight and you're a hyper-Calvinist and don't even believe it, bless God, he died for you too, whether you believe it or not. Ain't we having fun in Carytown tonight? I got to ask you, is there such a place called Ter- Carytown? Well, I'm here. Hallelujah. I feel like I've been graduated from Spencer to Turkey. Say amen. What about Jesus. Man, he went through it, pain and agony. His vintage was marred beyond recognition, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. 
called a devil, rejected, nailed to a cross, and in the middle of the pathos of his suffering, he looked out over that crowd and said, Father, call down fire out of heaven. No. Father, send your angels like you did to Hezekiah and destroy a hundred thousand enemies. No. Oh, God, send the Red Sea, send the Tower of Babel. God, destroy this place with fire and brimstone like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. No, our Savior hanging on that tree, he doesn't smell like anger. He doesn't smell like revenge. He doesn't smell like bitterness. In fact, the Bible said, my God, help me right here. He's a sweet-smelling saver. He's a sweet-smelling saver. He looked out and said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Do you remember what Jesus cried in the midst of that hour? My God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? And I never read at the cross where God ever answered that question. You say, well, I was told it was a sin to ask God why. Uh, Jesus did. Well, I've got so much faith, I've never asked God why. You ain't lived long enough yet. Because you're going to get a phone call. You're going to get a knock at the door. You'll get an unsigned text. I think the whole world texts me. And you'll get a doctor's visit. And you'll get a doctor's report. And one of your youngins will come in and fall in your arms and say, Daddy, fix it. And you can't. And then you'll say, why? Oh, God, why? I tell you, if you, you say, preacher, I've been asking why. You in good company. You're out there with Jesus. My God, why has thou forsaken me? And I never read at the cross that God answered. And sometimes life's deep questions go unanswered for a while and emphasize for a while because I hear that question, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And no answer. You go through the book of Acts and there's no answer. You go through the book of Romans and there's no answer. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, all through the epistles and there's no answer. I'm about to shout right here. But when you come to Hebrews chapter number two, whoop, and verse number nine, the sovereign God of heaven said, it's time to answer my son's question. The Bible said in Jesus Christ, he tasted death for every man by bringing many sons into glory. By bringing many sons into glory. 
by bringing many sons into glory. I believe every time an old sinner bows their head and prays the sinner's prayer and gets saved by the grace of God and birthed into the family of God, I believe the father looks at the son and said, that's why, that's why, that's why, that's why. Aren't you glad on the other side he was a sweet-smelling savor? He didn't smell like the smoke. Come to our text tonight. You to see four things about these Hebrew boys. Number one, I want you to see their temptation. The temptation was, I've got some music and I've got a statue. And you're going to bow down to that statue. Or I'm going to take everything you've got. In fact, the Bible said they heated the flames seven times hotter. And I'm telling you tonight, the world, the flesh, and the devil is tempting you and I, like never before, forget God, forget the Bible, forget church, bow down to the devil and the world's little statues. Brother, the pressure is on like it's never been. And just like he turned the fire up seven times hotter, son, in this day and hour, the devil and the world and the imps of hell is turning up the heat. But God gave his people grace then to stand the test and God to give his people again the grace we need to stand the test. Their temptation. Their temptation. But number two, notice their testimony. They said, nope, not today. Nor tomorrow or ever. Because the God we serve, he's able to deliver us out of thy hand, O king. And son, I love this next phrase. But if not, but if not, you know what kind of faith we need tonight of the children of God, some of that but if not. So I want to tell you, COVID about knocked us all out. COVID was about the death nail that closed every church in this country and most of them are clawing and scratching just trying to get back and we're living in a politically correct society and a woke generation that if you believe the Bible and have some standards and want to do a Christian life they'll call you all kind of names but we need to anchor our soul tonight in the haven of rest in the blood of Jesus and in the word of God and say we're going to stand we're going to live for God and but if not, we're going to do it anyway. Number three, I want you to see their trial. The king made good his word and threw them in the fire. Turned it up seven times. It was so hot it consumed the men that threw them in. Brother, there are going to be some prices to pay to live for God. Do you think the devil is going to sit back and watch a church like this, believe the Bible, love lost sinners, and instead of talk about people being saved, they go out there and get them and bring them in. You know there's two kind of churches. Them that talks about doing something and them that actually get off their backside and go do it for God. I believe I'm in one that's doing it for God. 
But if you think the devil's going to let this church win people to Christ, impact your city, support missions, have a place for young people to come and hear the word of God and not test you and not trouble you and not stir these waters, we all are very naive. In fact, one of the greatest evidences that we're doing something for God, honey, the devil is stirred up. But you know what my daddy used to say? The devil's mad and I'm glad and God is good anyway. But that brings me to my text number four. I see their temptation. I see their testimony. I see their trial. Woo! But I see their triumph. They came out of that fire. Can I tell you tonight, there's life on the other side of the fire. There's life on the other side of a setback. There's life on the other side of a meltdown. There's life on the other side of a failed marriage. There's life on the other side of a child that broke your heart. There's life on the other side of a church squabble. There's life on the other side of a financial crisis. There's life on the other side of a health issue. I mean to tell you no matter how how deep the valley, how wide the river, how high the mountain, through God and the grace of God, there's life on the other side of the fire. Their bodies wouldn't consume, their hair wouldn't singe, their clothes wouldn't change. They didn't even smell like they'd been through the fire. This past fall, I had two things happen to me. I was studying this, but I had two things happen to me in the fall. God used to burn this sermon in my heart. I was preaching for a friend of mine, and at the end of the service, the last night of the revival, he said, you want to go out and get a bite to eat? Look at me tonight. You don't have to ask a fat man, do you want to go eat? We don't look like this fasting and praying. Carter, you have to eat to get this big, son. God bless you. Up there, he looked at Carter, nine feet tall, two inches wide. He turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, and I thought he was a zipper. I didn't know what he was. I'm just jealous because I don't look like Carter. I told him, I said, son, I've shrunk three feet and swelled four. And so the preacher said, let's go get something. And, and I don't know. Every once in a while, Clyde, God to give you a friend that you can open up to and the whole world won't know about it before morning. Now, there are some people I would really be careful because as soon as it leaves your mouth, Twitter. And can I run one more rabbit? If all you have to do with your life are troll people, and vomit your ignorance on an Instagram or a Facebook page, criticizing another preacher or another brother in Christ, you need to go watch some Andy Griffith. Shazam. Nip it in the bud. I've pastored Barney Fife. He's sensitive. (laughs) Woo! 
but I felt comfortable. I knew that man had been through some stuff, and we just got to talking. Brother Clyde, he unloaded on me, and I unloaded on him. I cried, and he cried. I wept, and he wept. I moaned and groaned, and he moaned and groaned. And then he said this to me. Preacher Mike, it changed my life. He said, Joe, I'm really surprised that you've gone through that. Second week of June, 2019, it started. It started raining at our church. It started raining at my home. It started raining in my life. I'm telling you. I'm glad there's one statement that I heard a preacher say on TV one time ain't true. He said, your best life is now. If my best life is now, dude, we in trouble. Our best life's in glory. When we have a glorified body. And I began to share with him the deepness of the valley, the darkness of the night. And I wept and he wept and he looked at me and he said, wow, I'm glad you told me. But he said, I never would have known you were going through all of that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't smell like smoke. He said, Joe, I've been following you on the Internet for the last three years in your meetings, and I, I watch your church services. And he said, as far as your preaching is concerned, I, I'd have never known you were that low. I'd never known the attack was that bad. I'd never known you had gone through all of that. He said, I never would have known all that trouble in your life because he said, son, somehow, by the grace of God, you're not angry when you preach, and you're not bitter when you preach, and you're not cussing people out when you preach and you're not using street language when you preach. You still preach with love and mercy and grace and compassion. He said, Joe, I'm glad, honey. You don't smell like smoke. And I said to my dear friend, by the grace of God and the grace of God only. I left that meeting and the very next week went to my second meeting of that month and I sat in the pastor's office, and this is the second thing that burned this message in my heart. He said, Brother Joe, he said, we're glad you're here. He said, uh, there's another preacher that I had to postpone. I've not canceled this man, but I have postponed this man's coming. And said, I got to listening to him preach at other meetings that I was at or on the internet. And he said, I finally had to call him and say, Brother, I love you. I appreciate you. And I'm not counseling the meeting. I just need to postpone the meeting because that spirit of anger and revenge and that old mean cutting spirit. He said, son, you're taken out on every church in America where you preach what's happened in your own church and what's happened in your own family. I don't need that spirit in our church right now. We're seeing people saved. We got a sweet spirit. There's unity in our church. We don't need all that smoke in here. And I called my wife. I was weeping. I said, oh, sweetheart, pray, pray. By the grace and the mercy of God, you won't ever hear 
where they had to postpone Brother Joe coming because that pastor didn't want that anger and that bitterness and that hateful spirit and all that revenge spewed across his congregation. Pastor, these people struggle with anger. They don't need to see ours. They're struggling tonight with bitter things that happen in their home and in their lives and in their families. And the last place they need anger and revenge and bitterness is at the house of God. Honey, this is the emergency room. This is a soul-saving station. This is the life-changing station. Let's don't smell like smoke. Let's smell like love, peace, joy, and restoration. I preached this the other night, and guess what the new rumor is on Brother Joe? You ready? Compromiser. He's a glory preacher. He don't ever preach on sin. I'm about to smell like smoke. Pray for me. I'm preaching on envy and bitterness and anger right now. And last time I read my Bible, that ain't good. Oh, but I, I want to hear some of that hide peeling. I, I want to tell you, brother, it preaching on anger and resentment and revenge and bitterness that appeal your taters. I believe you ought to still cry loud and spare not. You go where I've been pastoring for 38 years, there ain't a sin I ain't preached on. In fact, bless God, yesterday I invented two or three to preach on. I'm like Billy Kelly. He said, I've been preaching for 40 plus years and I've preached everything I knew and some things I wasn't sure of. But I do know this, you can preach hell, you can preach the holiness of God, you can preach the wrath of God, but that old spirit of envy and hatred and jealousy and anger does not have to permeate our lives. Listen, you don't have to agree with the sin in your children's life, but the spew of hatred and anger and unforgiveness and revenge is not going to cut it. I'm telling you tonight, if Jesus, if Joseph, if the Hebrew boys can come through the fire and not smell like smoke. You and I can do the same thing. I don't think there's anybody tonight in this room other than Miss June sitting there in Clyde that ever met my dad. And Some of the older people from Spruce Street, some of the older people some of them older people that used to go over there when we was all young, and we're not anymore, but we're not old. We're classics. You may remember Dad. Dad was six foot three, weighed 255, 60 pounds. But the biggest thing about him wasn't his feet and his hands. It was his heart. Daddy got hurt real bad in that little church he pastored. Mama got so hurt she almost had a nervous breakdown. My daddy got hurt real bad. Every October and November and December, we did something wonderful at our house. It's a blessing. We went deer hunting. We didn't play golf. 
because we were sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. We didn't play golf with all them sinners. We come out from among them. And I know fishermen lie, but golfers say stuff they shouldn't say. You say, Brother Joe, is playing golf a sin? If you play like the way I tried to play, it's not a sin. It's an abomination in the sight of God. So we go deer hunting. Down on the East Coast, about two hours from here, we're running with blue tick hound dogs. Just like y'all would your rabbits up here. We'll get a big old thicket, turn about six or seven dogs in there, and they'll run them deer. Well, my daddy was the jump guy. So I'd be about 12, 13, 14. He'd put me on a stand. He said, I'll be back in a minute. And I thought he was just like giving me the first. No, what he was saying was, you wait for me till I get back, and then here comes the deer, and Daddy always shot him. But he put me by this little log one day, and he went on down in the cane thicket. He didn't come back for a while, and I got worried. About an hour later, I heard him go, whoo, whoo. I thought, well, he's going to scare every deer off in the woods. A few minutes, I heard it sounded like a freight train coming through them woods. And I looked, and it's my daddy. Whew, glory, hallelujah, glory. He said, seen anything? You didn't sass my daddy. But I said, no. Who's going to see a deer with a man acting like that? I said, Daddy, what's wrong with you? He said, ain't nothing wrong with me. Now, if you're not from North Carolina or maybe the edge of Virginia, you will not understand what I'm about to say. He said, boy. I throwed her off. I throwed her off. Throwed. Don't you Davidson County people let me down? Anybody know what throwed me? Okay. For you proper people, threw. When I preach this at Dr. Trebers, I say, and he cast it away. He took his burden and he threw it to the Lord. Oh, but down here we say, he throwed it. He said, I throwed it off. I throwed it off. I said, Daddy, what did you throw off? He said, that old resentment, that old burden, that old anger, that old bitterness, my joy killer, my song stealer, my anointing robber. He said, son, I throwed it off in that cane thicket. I'm ready to preach again. I'm ready to go soul winning again. I'm ready to serve God again. I throwed it off. You know what some of us need to do tonight? We need to have a throwing off revival. Throw it off. Well, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion now. You say, Brother Joe, how come they went through that fire? Didn't even smell like the smoke. Well, there's a little word mentioned three times in this story. It's the word midst. Also in Lexington, that word mitz means right smack dab in the middle. The Bible said they threw them in the midst of the fire. The third time it says they came out of the midst of the fire. 
the right smack dab in the middle of all them mistresses, there's another midst. King got up that next morning. Glory to God, somebody run right here. And looked in that fire furnace and said to his subordinates, wait a minute. Somebody help me. Oh, hey, wait. Did I not throw three? Did I not throw? Did I not cast three men into that fire? Yo, king, three. He said, something done gone wrong down there in the fire because I see four. If it had been from Lexington and Atlanta, he said, I see four. I see four. And they're loose. And they're walking around in the midst of the fire. And he said, I'm a heathen, and I don't know much, but my God, the former that fourth, whoop, is like unto the Son of God. You know why they didn't smell like smoke in that fire? There was a rose and a lily in there. Did you get that? They went through that fire because there was a rose and a lily in there. Because when you stay midst up to him, his fragrance of love and mercy overpowers the smell of the smoke. He says, too late for me, Brother Joe. I done pitched a fit and fell all down in there and wallowed around in the burn barrel. Not as bad as you think. You can do what my mama said when I come in that trailer that night from burning that trash. Go wash up. Get all that stink off of you. You can come to the table. You'll let the Lord Jesus Christ wash you tonight in his blood and in his word, in his mercy and his grace. You can sit at the table and fellowship with the King of kings, Lord of lords. In closing, you said, what does that mean? Hey, when your daddy brother Fry said in closing, that was 20 more minutes. But I'm done. I read a phrase in here that if I'd have been a Methodist, I'd have got sprinkled again. If I'd have been a Presbyterian, I'd have kicked the back end of my choir robe out. Brother Mike, you remember the last text verse I read, the king said, God sent his angel. He delivered his servants. Listen to this line. It'll change your world. And have changed the word of the king. You know what that king is saying? My life was changed by watching them go through that fire and not smell like smoke. You say, well, I don't think my ordeal can change anybody's life. That's what the king said. Them Hebrew boys went through that fire, and one person got their life changed. Get the piano ready, get the piano ready, get the song ready. I got to quit. My time is up. But if you think it's something that three boys can go through the fire, son, I got a, I got a glory bump. 
right here. I don't even think roll age can get it out right now. But I'm going to try. And I'm going to try not to shout. But I ain't going to make you no promise. Because I'm about to step over in a sinkhole right here. Oh, not only can three men go through the fire and one king have his life changed. There is one Savior that went through one fire and he died once and he suffered once and he's crucified once and he's changed the life of millions. Because you can go through the fire by God's help and not smell like anger, revenge, and bitterness. Wash that smoke off of you tonight. Throw it off. Get your joy back. Them people that took your joy, they're having a time tonight. You pick up your joy and you have your time. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? We're standing together, Lord, we love you tonight. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Glory to God, amen. Thank you for the Word of God. Lord, I never cease to be amazed that something like this can be buried in a text. You bring it out to us, and we realize the Bible was written for regular hurting people like me and this congregation. Minister grace to the hearers. Help us tonight. We'll love you and we'll praise you and give you the glory because we ask it. In the name above every name, in Jesus' name, amen. They're going to play on the instrument tonight. Pastor's going to come in a moment. But maybe you just like to kneel and say, I'm going to throw it off. I'm going to throw it off. That resentment, that revenge, that I'm tired of dreaming about Praise the Lord, it comes back up again. I'm getting victory tonight. I'm going to come through this thing and not smell like smoke. Giving God the glory for who he is. While she's playing tonight, let God minister grace to you. He's an awesome God. He's faithful. What a Savior. Sing that course with, I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Sing that chorus one more time. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all.
Is there anybody tonight that you've never been through the fire? Not a single one. Not a one. But how many times have we come out on the other side?